Okay, good deal. So welcome, guys, to Wisdom and Tower Ministries. My name is Rico Cortez. I'm here today, this morning, with my teacher, uh, Joseph Good. I want to be able to make sure that it's been live streamed the right way here on the internet. So give me one second. Okay, it is. Beautiful. Okay, so guys, the, what I'm doing this morning is a recap on a post that I made last week, and it kind of created a little bit of a <laughs> backlash. I don't know why. Maybe I didn't explain it correctly, or maybe I'm, we're studying the, the, the language of the temple, the language of the feast, the language of the pilgrimage feast versus the high holidays. And there seemed to be a, contro, a controversy and a, um, a problem of understanding. And sadly, there's <laughs> always an attack uh, by people, and that's okay. How you doing, Joe? Doing Joe? good. All right, Joe. Um, welcome to the short, last-minute type teaching we wanted you to do with me to hopefully clarify some of the things that we are trying to convey. All right. So uh, let me. I'm going to ask you a few questions. For people who don't know, Joe Joe Go has been studying the temple for um, 42 years. He's been focusing, researching, learning, studying, and I've been his personal. I've been a personal student with them for a long time, as well as other people like Edgar Ramos and, you know, all the people that are very well known and uh, Scott Paddock and some other people. And we've learned a great deal. And when you study the temple, you start learning a language. There's a particular language that it starts to, you know, identify when you start reading scripture. And you see it in Deuteronomy chapter 16, and you see it in Leviticus 23. But sadly, many people, when they study um, the book of Leviticus, they only focus on Leviticus and the language there. They're not connecting all the verses. So what we want to do is try to define terms because I made the statement on Facebook in regards to Yom Teruah is not a feast. Now, we know that they are pilgrimage. They are pilgrimage. And that's what we're going to be found, uh, we're going to be focusing in. There's a distinction between a Yom Tov, a good days, Yom uh, Tovim, good days or, or appointed times, but not all of the appointed times are feasts, pilgrimage feasts. And that means going up to Jerusalem in order to present the offerings. It's connected with the agriculture cycle. And I think that's where the confusing, confusion lies. Now, obviously, the first day of 11 bread, the seventh day of 11 bread, uh, Yom, uh, Shavuot, first, I mean, Yom Teruah, uh, Yom HaKippurim, the Day of Atonement, first day and the last day of Sukkot. They are all, you know, um, a special Sabbath that we observe. And, you know, those are special days. But not all those special days are celebrated as a feast day, as a pilgrimage. And, um, and that's what we're going to be looking into. So, Joe, thank you for joining me. It's always nice to have you. And we're going to try to define this. So what I'd like to do is explain a little bit about the language. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. Well, first off, uh, the big banner chapter is Leviticus 23. Okay which it tells you all your, what we call Moedim, appointed times. And um, uh, actually, uh, in this chapter, we, we have another appointed time that is not mentioned. That's going to be 
the new moons. Now, that's going to be mentioned for us over in Numbers 28, Numbers 10. Um, but um, uh, the Hebrew term, what you mentioned, that we have seven of these, what are called high Sabbaths. The Hebrew term, we have three different terms for high Sabbath. Okay, so one of them is called uh, Shabbaton. Okay, and, and um, uh, a second one, uh, but it, it's synonymous, is Yom Tov. Many people, when they buy a challah cover, it'll say, Lechodesh, uh, Shabbat, ve Yom Tov. Okay, Yom Tov means good day, but it's one of these appointed high Sabbaths. The third is a Mikre Kodesh, a holy convocation. Okay, and the rules that you have biblically on this day are the same as far as a Sabbath, even though it might fall on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It's kind of like July 4th. Okay, so July 4th is set by the calendar date rather than a particular day of the week. Now, uh, the uh, the Sabbath restrictions have one exception on Yom Tov as a, opposed to a weekly Shabbat. Mm -hmm. is that it says you may not do any servile work. And what that was interpreted as is that, uh, that you... Uh, you can cook for that Yom Tov. Right. You can cook for that day, but you cannot cook uh, uh, anything that is not going to be associated with the observance of that festival. In other words, it's not a day that you make peach cobbler or okay. that you, you know, uh, I've got a new recipe I want to try out, so I'm going to yeah. do it this day. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's not that, but uh, like, for instance, uh, on the first day of Hakamatsa, that's a Yom Tov. That's the first, let's define the terms so the people will understand what we're saying. Right, that's because unleavened then they, bread. That's unleavened bread, yes. Uh-huh. So on the first day, well, they had killed the lamb on the 14th of, uh, of Nisan. Okay, so when it got dark, it became the 15th. Well, we're told in the Mishnah, that they actually kept everyone that, that came to the temple to kill these lambs. Uh, and remember that they're killing the lamb for a group uh, that uh, will be meeting together to eat the Passover lamb. Uh, they keep them in the temple till after dark. And then they let them go. Correct. Well, when we do the Passover Seder, you don't eat the meal till the midway point. That's right. because in the in the ancient times when the temple stood, when they ate the lamb, they had to cook it first. But okay, they so started the Seder meal right at sundown, and in the middle of the meal, they could the, the the lamb was cooked, and they were able to bring it in. So I got a question. So the question sure. that we're dealing with, and I want to go. Let's go. Let's go right off that point in regards to the. Uh, the festivals, and I think the language in English is what throws everybody off. People need to recognize that the Bible is not written in English. The Bible is written in Hebrew, in a Hebrew language, in a context, it, all around the feast, the, the, uh, the, the, the temple language, 
the agricultural language. The feast language also have a eschatology language and also have a agricultural language. So we need to consider all those things. When we look at the word feast, throws everybody off. But let's go to the verse, okay? And I want you to notice something. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16. And it says, three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord, your God, in the place that he will choose. On the festival of Matzah, on the festival of Shavuot, on the festival of Sukkot. And he shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Everyone, according to what? He can give according to the blessing that Hashem or the Lord your God has given you. Now, what we need to remember is it says it's not mentioned in Yom Teru and Yom Kippur. So, Joe, during the high holidays, which we know that those 10 days between Yom Teru and Yom Kippur, there were high holidays in regards to repentance, uh, reflection, leading to the day of, of atonement. But you were not required to make pilgrimage if you didn't want to right. on Yom Teru and Yom Kippur. Right. In fact, it's very interesting because we see Yeshua goes into the wilderness for 40 days, right? Uh-huh. And he's going to fast. He's going to pray. He's going to be tempted. Well, we see when he comes out, he's, he, he doesn't go to Jerusalem where, they, where he shows up is Nazareth. Yeah. Okay. And it says that they delivered to him a scroll and he reads from the scroll. It's Isaiah 61. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, well, right now, we are in the readings uh, leading up to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and uh, you, uh, they're, they're starting uh, around Isaiah 40, and then they're going forward, and you have where we read in the, in the Haftarah, we're going to have a reading from, uh, from the book of Isaiah. So The Haftarah it, is the portion of the prophets. Right, the portion of the prophets that, that's read along with your Torah uh, portion, your Torah portion. Yeah. And um, uh, at the end of the days of all, the days in between Rosh Hashanah, which many people will only call Yom Torah, uh, but uh, Rosh Hashanah slash Yom Torah uh, to Yom Kippur. Uh, we have these days that are called the awesome days, or the days of all, the high holy days. Yeah, Yamin Noraim. Uh, the Yamin Noraim. And so uh, at the end of this, we read Isaiah 59 up to Isaiah 61. And so we can put together that Yeshua went into the wilderness right at the time that we had a 40 day season of Teshuvah. And that he comes out. We don't see him in Jerusalem, we see him in the north because it's not an obligation to be there. For Rosh Hashanah slash Yom Torah or Yom Kippur, mm -hmm. and we we have a term for the three pilgrimage festivals called the Shlosh Regalim. Shlosh means three. What does Regalim mean? It means feet. Yeah. Okay. Why do they call it the, the three feet? Because it's the three festivals that you walk to by foot, going up to Jerusalem. Right. Listen, in the Hebrews here, uh, here in the, I'm going to do my best to read the Hebrews. It's been a while. So in Deuteronomy 16, verse 16, I'm going to start in the middle of verse uh, 16. It says, um, it says, Adonai Elohecha v'amakom, v'amakom asher, yivchar bechag. 
אוקיי? בחג המצות ובחג השבועות, I'm sorry, ובחג הסוכות is right there in the Hebrew. Mm-hmm. The word חג, festival, is in the Hebrew in Deuteronomy 16, verse 16. But you don't find that in reference to the high holidays, you mean noraim, as a chag. I mean, if we read the Hebrew, if we understand the temple, we're not saying that we're not observing the celebration or the commemoration of blowing of the shofars for Yom Teruah. Clearly we do. But we're trying to define terms because we say, you know, we're going to celebrate the Feast of, ta- uh, of Trumpets. Well, you and I know, because you taught me this and I validated it. And just because you're my teacher doesn't mean everything you say. I believe blindly. You know, we spend time, hours, validating information. That's the way you taught me. You so have to do that. You have to do that. And how many times have I said, Joe, I believe this. And then once we research, I said, man, Joe, you're right. Or vice versa, because you always, you're very teachable too. And it's not like I'm trying to teach anything. It's just that I'm trying to compare information. Because I also, you have something that I also have. We have the deep desire to help people understand its proper context. It's not really about being right. But, you know, so here in the Hebrew, if you go back, look it up. Don't believe anything we said. Go back and look it up. In Deuteronomy 16, verse 16, if you re- read it in the Hebrew, it's mentioning the three pilgrimage uh, pilgrimage feasts, Chagag, okay? The Gag, Hagim, in the plural, okay? But that's not in reference. It's omitting Yom Teruah and Yom HaKippurim, the Day of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement, because they are appointed times, but they're not Hagim, right? Right. So Deuteronomy 16, verse 16, clearly tells you in the Hebrew that there are three pilgrimage. Uh, why? But the question is, and the question we need to ask, Joe, is why is, you know, those three particular Hagim uh, festivals different than the other ones? And it deals with temple offerings. And if you don't mind, let me read verse 17. I'm going to read that verse 16 and 17 again. Oh, Deuteronomy 16. Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord, your God, in the place that he would choose. That's Jerusalem. On the festival, Hagag in Hebrew, of Matzah, the festival uh, of Shavuot, the festival of Sukkot. And, and he shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Everyone according to what he can give, according to the blessing that the Lord your God has given you. So they are connected with the tithing and the offerings. Bring into so you need it. You need to look at it from the understanding of the agricultural cycles. If you uh, devoid, Rico, yes, sir. <laughs> this expression where it says he should not appear before Hashem empty-handed, and earlier in verse sixteen he should appear. Right. Okay. These are festivals that it was a it was mandatory that all the males appear before Hashem in the temple at Jerusalem at this time. Then, and also where it says he should not appear before Hashem empty-handed, that meant that each of them, each of the males were obligated to bring a special burnt offering. And the burnt offering is called the burnt offering that is seen. In Hebrew, it's, it's olat re'in. Uh, which means uh, basically the burnt offering that's seen. 
Gotcha. So, so would you agree with me that it will be very difficult to understand um, the language unless you connect it with the temple functions and the agricultural cycles? Yes, uh, absolutely. They, they, these are all intertwined. Right. When you look into Leviticus chapter 23, verse 23, actually, it's giving you the whole chapter is giving you about the appointed times of God, the Moedim. Okay. So there are appointed times. Now, remember that in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 20, 20, 16, verse 16, is referring to, this is Moses speaking, by God told Moses to say this. This is not an invention of the rabbis. This is not an invention of Joseph Good. This is not my interpretation. It's actually in the text. So it's giving you all the appointed, the Moedim, okay, the appointed times. So, Joe, would you agree that uh, <clears throat> unleavened bread, Shavuot, uh, Yom Tevuah, Yom Kippur, and the two special Sabbaths of Sukkot, they are appointed times? Yes, they are. But they serve different functions. One function yes. for the agricultural cycle to bring the offerings, which are the three pilgrimage, and the other two serve as a, you know, high holidays for particular function and purpose, which are... Uh, different than the purpose of the three pilgrimage uh, right holidays. so the problem is we all put it together as one lump sum and that creates problems right okay so let me read leviticus chapter 23 verse 23 and it says and the lord spoke to moses saying speak to the children of israel saying in the seventh month on the first day of the month there shall be a rest day for you that's the moed that, that is the special sabbath that is a special appointed time okay and re a remembrance yom hasikaron it's actually in the text with shofar blast a holy convocation you shall do not any uh, laborious work and you shall offer an offering to the lord now what throws everyone off is that in the beginning verse in chapter 23 says the lord spoke to moses saying Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, the appointed festivals, okay? But it's the Moedim. They are appointed, but they are not Chagim. They're not pilgrimage. Let's use the word pilgrimage instead of feast because that throws everybody off. Would you agree that maybe that term should be maybe expounded upon because then that will bring more clarity to the function and the purpose of these things? Yes, yeah. So that's what we're trying to study. I hope this is making sense to the audience because it's creating so much confusion. And <laughs> it's kind of funny because then people misquote you and they go around and start <laughs> saying stuff I didn't say. But I'm glad that we're doing this together because it's like about accountability and validating information. It's like hey, accountability Rico? and valid valid validating information. Yes, sir. In that first verse of chapter 23, uh -huh. you do not have the word hot. You don't. It's only in the English and the Spanish. Interesting. So let's go back to, so in the Hebrew text, in the book of Deuteronomy 23. Yeah, read that, that first verse. Yeah, by David Adonai el Moshe Lemon. David el Bene Israel. Elohim. Moedei. It doesn't say. Moedei Hashem. Yeah, Moedei Hashem. Asher. Tikraot, Tikru, Otam, Mikra, Mikra Chodesh, 
Yeah, that is the holy convocation. The holy convocation doesn't appear as Chag. It's not actually so. That means that the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 16, 16, is defining now the Chagim, the feast days. Okay. So it's what I was trying to say then that the book of Deuteronomy, I'm sorry, Leviticus 23, is pointing out the appointed times, and they all, and then the chapter is defining their purpose and function and how to do them. Rico, can I read this the way it would read if you translate it directly from the Hebrew? I'm using an art scroll. Yes, okay? sir. Go ahead. It, 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 would, it reads, Hashem spoke to Moshe, saying, speak to the children of Israel, say to them, Hashem's appointed times. But they put in the word festivals here. Right. And that's a problem. That you are to designate as holy convocations. These are my appointed times. You have more day. And then at the end, the very last word is again more day. Appointed times, my appointed times. Right. So again, let's re let's review real quickly. Appointed times are every single one of them. The appointed times are the ones that God says you're going to meet with me throughout the year. Then you have unleavened bread, Passover unleavened bread. That's a chagim. That's a chag. That's a pilgrimage. Because you bring you uh, you bring an offering, you bring in an offering, you got to present there. Then you have Shavuot. It's another Hagim. It's another Hag. Another celebration according to Deuteronomy sixteen verse sixteen, which clearly Moses is defining those three as feasts or pilgrimage. Uh, let's redefine the terms. And and then also Sukkot falls under that category because they are connected with the agricultural cycle. So you have the barley for Passover, Shavuot, you have um, wheat, and then you have the, the grapes and you know oil and stuff for Sukkot, correct? Correct. Okay. So that means that Yom Teruah has a function and Yom Kippur has a function. They are appointed times, but they, are not, they don't fall under the category of Chagim because only, so you're not, uh, you're not supposed to go, I mean, you have the option to stay home if you want to on Yom Teruah and Yom HaKippurim if the temple was standing. Uh, you know, on both of those days, okay, um, you have major temple services. Correct. Major temple services. But it's not required that everybody be at those services. Repeat that again. Repeat that again. Okay. During uh, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Torah, uh, you have major temple services. Uh, also Yom Kippur, you have major temple services. Now, most people think that on Yom Torah, everybody just blew trumpets wherever they were, Shofarot, okay? I want to read something to you. What are you reading from? I'm reading out of the Kahati Mishnah. Uh -huh. I'm reading from the tractate Rosh Hashanah, and this so is Rosh Hashanah 4.1. Okay, so stop there for a minute. And this is a disclaimer we need to make. It is impossible for us today to try to understand these things that we're reading because many people, I guarantee you, many people in the audience, now that you don't want to understand it, it's just that maybe you haven't gone directly to the Hebrew like we're trying to do here to understand, to the, to understand the mechanism and the language and the definitions. And it's sad because when we talk about Mishnah, which contains, by the way, the person who wrote that tractate was there. He saw these things. 
<laughs> Eliezer Ben Yaakov, he's a primary source. He's mm -hmm. a primary source because he was there just like Josephus will be and just like Philo and just like some of the other people who lived at that time. Paul would have probably said the same thing. He uses, by the way, a lot of the temple language in all his writings. And um, when we bring out a resource like the Mishnah, which is all about temple into the conversation, people freak out and they think that we're trying to be rabbinical. Newsflash people, that's the resource that was there. We'll be really hard pressed to understand how the things happen in the temple that Paul talks about, unless we go back to the primary source. And this is a primary source. Go ahead, Joe. Okay. Uh, this is uh, again, Rosh Hashanah for one. When the holy day, of Rosh Hashanah fell on a Shabbat, okay? And we've already talked about, it starts off, uh, Yom Tov Shel Rosh Hashanah, okay? Uh -huh. so when the holy day of Rosh Hashanah, and it says fell on a Shabbat, in the temple they would blow, but not in the Medina. Now, have right. you ever heard this word Medina before? Absolutely, yeah. Uh -huh. Medina means the countryside. Correct. And it means outside of Jerusalem. Okay? By the way, give me one second. Sorry to interrupt you again, but I want to make sure we define the terms. Rosh sure. Hashanah is ahead of the year, which the sabbatical year and the jubilee years are determined in the counting based on the civil calendar and can right. only be done during uh, the month of Tishri from the temple. Okay? Yes. Go ahead. It's the new year for the, for the Shemitah, the seven-year cycle, and the Ovel, the 50-year cycle. Correct. And that's in Leviticus 25, if people want to look this up. Okay. All right. And then it says, after the temple was destroyed, Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai. Now, what does Rabban mean? Rabban means the president of the Sanhedrin. It's kind of like a term for rabbi, but it is elevated. Okay. Elevated, elevated in the sense of judicial matters and, and yes. uh, legal uh, legal understanding. Not that he is worshipped. It just has to. Do, it's like a Supreme Court justice, right? And you know, you were reading from Deuteronomy sixteen. You can see that God gave authority for them to make these types of statements for the nation in chapter seventeen. Actually, okay. can, I, can I support that also from the Leviticus, uh, Ezekiel 44, 23, and 24? If you allow sure. me, so we can establish the, the precedent here. Biblical precedent according to Scripture. Verse um, In verse 15 of chapter 44 tells you that the Levitical priests, the sons of Sadok, who kept the charge. So we know they're the sons of Aaron, right? In verse 23 and 24 says, They shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the common, and show them how to distinguish between the clean and unclean. In a dispute, they shall act as judges, and they shall judge it according to my judgments. They shall keep my laws, my statutes, and all my appointed uh, feasts. Okay, that's very important. And they shall keep my Sabbath holy. So they have the legal jurisdiction. The reason, and give me one more minute, Joe, before you go into this, because I think it's important for the audience to, to really grasp why we are connecting like that. The reason why Ezekiel 44, verse 23 and 24 is so significant because it lines up with the Torah and Deuteronomy 17, but also because in Numbers chapter 20 and 29, and you know that I went to your house for five days, and we only focus on those two chapters, understanding those two chapters. And we know that in chapter 29 of the book of Numbers says, on the first day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. 
you shall do no ordinary work. It is a day for you to blow the trumpets and you shall offer a burnt offering for a pleasing aroma to the Lord, one bull of the herd, one ram, seven lambs of the year, and uh, all without blemish, and a grain, and go from there. The reason why you are going to read from the tractate Rosh Hashanah, which means head of the years, to explain what was going on in the temple when the Musaf, the extra offerings, were going on on the day of trumpets. So the day of trumpets, Yom Teruah, is the temple service done to commemorate uh, the enthronement of God in creation and in book of Genesis, and it requires sacrifices. Go ahead, Joe. Okay, so, um, all right, after the destruction of the temple, Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai was the president of the Sanhedrin at the time the temple was destroyed by the Romans, okay? So he's got a new problem. Originally, where they blew the trumpets was in the temple. That's it. Right. That's true. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. If you I'm were so, up in Tiberias, you didn't blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, Yom Torah. That was a temple service. Yes, based on Is Numbers it? chapter 10. Give me one second, because I want to validate this point. As you mentioned, the things that are biblically factual that is found in the Mishnah, because it's not an invention of the rabbis. Okay? In this case, it's all biblical. Let me read it for you. In chapter 10, verse 8, it says, um, yeah, it says, And the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow the trumpets. The trumpets shall be to you for a perpetual statute throughout your generations. And you shall go to war in your land against the adversaries to who oppress you. Then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, that you may be remembered before the Lord your God, and you shall be saved from your enemies. Verse 10. On the day of your gladness, also, on at, and at your appointed feast, that you see, gladness and appointed feast, at the beginning of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices for your peace offerings. They shall be a reminder of you before your God. I am the Lord your God. Go ahead, Joe. I have a question for you, Rico. Oh, you're going to put me on the spot? Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. What kind of trumpet is that? Okay. You have the silver trumpets. Right. And then you have the shofar only blown on Yom Teruah and only right. once on the Day of Atonement when you declare the Jubilee. Right. Now, let, uh, let me finish this mission here. It says, uh, Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai enacted that they would blow in every place in which there is a court. All right. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you had a Jewish community that was large enough that they had a court, then on Rosh Hashanah, Yom Torah, they would could conduct services. And these services uh, are going to be divided into three sections. Okay. The three sections are called Malkuyot, which means yeah. kingship. Zikronot, remembrances, and the third is shofarot. And these, um, let me go to a few Mishnah over. Um, it says, um, understanding this is very important. I have this book of reference that I think everyone should get. It's called The High Holidays by uh, Chaim Herman Kibble. You recommend oh, that's that, great. It, that's, that an, book changed my life. This is an amazing book. It tells you everything that was going on and the services they do and the prayers and what they mean. It's really cool. That book changed my life. That's when I read that 
and uh, uh, did not understand much because I did not know the terminology. Yeah. But yet there were uh, all types of references in these prayers that uh, I could identify uh, with uh, the New Testament. Oh, I've read them, yeah. Right in there to talk about the last trump. Right. Well, you won't find the last trump in the Tanakh. Right. It's found in 1 Corinthians 15. Yes. So I had to ask this question back those years back. This was like 40 some odd years ago. I had to say, okay, did this Rabbi Kevel, who wrote this book, did he use 1 Corinthians 15? Did he reference Paul? in relation to what he was speaking about Rosh Hashanah? Or is it possible that Paul was taking language from the prayers and the services of Rosh Hashanah and writing 1 Corinthians? By the way, that statement you just made is very important for us to remember because when we go to Acts chapter 2, it's not related to the high holidays or anything like that. But in chapter 3, verse 1, of the book of Acts, chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now, if we go back to Numbers 28, verse 1 through 8, we know that they were doing sacrifices, and that means that the prayers and sacrifices were connected. The offerings were connected as one. Now, in the in, uh, page 11 of this book, as a reference, it says something really cool. It says how the Sidur and the Maxor were created, right? So it says, Long before the synagogue had its, or, its origin, public, public prayer was an element of a sacrificial system of worship in the temple in Jerusalem. After the latter was destroyed in the year 70 CE, common era, prayer reminded uh, remained as a sole medium of public worship. Nevertheless, the legacy of the temple rituals enriched the synagogue with many uh, familiar prayers and blessing psalms, responses, and doxologies. And what people need to remember is that what they did after the temple was destroyed, and correct me if I'm wrong in any way, Joe, you can, you're my teacher and you can correct me at any time because um, I want to learn also, is that when the temple is destroyed, a lot of the temple's uh, protocols, prayers, worship psalms were carried over into the synagogue service. So today, what we should be observing on Yom Teruah and Yom HaKippurim is the service that was done in the temple, not as a pilgrimage, because we can't do the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And it's not a Chag, it's not a pilgrimage feast, it's a Moed, it's an appointed time for a particular purpose. So why don't we do what the temple service was doing and the prayers and the blessings like you and I have been doing because we understand the temple understanding. Does that make sense? Makes sense to me. But unfortunately, when we start talking about Chagim or Chag feast or pilgrimage, better yet pilgrimage, like the book of Deuteronomy says it, and now we, Joe uh, kind of mentioned something that I, it kind of escaped me, that in, Deut uh, in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 1 and 2, it doesn't mean Chag, it means Moedim, it's Moed, appointed times of the Lord, not the feast of the Lord. That's a translation from the other language, uh, for the other translations, but even the Tanakh from the Hebrew to the English doesn't have feast. It has appointed time of the Lord. Uh, uh, Rico, one of the things that, uh, is really really neat but people have to have to to really pay attention to this okay it's not a hard thing but it's something that you could look over without catching it now if you'll remember 
when when you came here and you said, I want you to teach me how you study. And so, okay, we're going to go to bottom of bar or numbers 28. Yes. And I had you read. Yes. And then I asked you, what do you see? And then you gave me an answer. And I said, uh, I'm not asking that. I want to know what you see. And you gave me an answer. And I said, I'm not asking that. Okay. And then, I remember. <laughs> okay. So I want to show the people this because Numbers 29, which is most people's foundation verse for Yom Torah, they have it out of, they have it out of its setting. Okay. And if you see it in its setting, you go, oh, wow, I understand. And then you're able, it will expand your borders. You know how it says about in the book of Isaiah, how that God will expand your, your tent ropes. What does it mean? He means it's going to make your tent bigger. Well, for me, in understanding God's word, I want my tent to grow as big as it can. I want to understand everything that he said, not just what I have heard, read on the internet. I want to go back and I want to be able to see it in the Tanakh. I want to make sure that people understand we're not using the Mishnah or any Jewish writings to replace the Tanakh. We're using it to better understand what the Tanakh is telling us. And that makes a big difference. That's but, a really good point you made. That's a very good point. And I, that, and I really appreciate you made that point. Keep going, brother. In Numbers 28, it starts off, and Rico, if you can read that first uh, set of verses and tell the people, what does it say? Uh, chapter 28, verse 1. Start right there. All right. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel and say to them, My offering, my food for my fires, my satisfying aroma, you shall be scrupulous to offer to me at its appointed time. Okay, keep going. Okay. And you shall say to them, this is the fire offering that you are to offer to Hashem, to the Lord, a male lamb in his first year on blemish, uh, to a day, as a continual elevation offering. The one lamb shall you make in the morning, and then the second lamb you shall make in the afternoon. And the tenth ephah and the fine flour of a meal offering mixed with a quarter, quarter hint of crushed oil. I, yeah, it is, a, it is the continual elevation offering that was done at Mount Sinai. Let's see. Uh, what was that last point? Yeah, uh, which was ordained. 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 That's very important. When I saw that, when you mentioned that to me, and I saw it, it's like my eyes lit up. Because that means that everything, every sacrifice that we see outlined for us in the Mishnah is allowing us to understand a glimpse of the temple, how it was done in the first century, is was ordained at Mount Sinai. So they cannot add or change anything. All right, now, I have a question. Yes. This, everything that you read from verse 1 through the last verse that you read, is that temple or not temple? Absolutely. It's all temple. Okay. Can you do it anywhere else but the temple? No. Okay. All right. Now, uh, you have, uh, um, let me go there in the stone tonight. All right. So, you read uh, 
can you read verse 9 through 10? Sure. On the Sabbath day, two male lambs a year without blemish, two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour for a grain offering mixed with oil, and it's drink offerings. This is the burnt offering on every Sabbath besides the regular burnt offering and it's on his drink offerings. Okay. So do we observe Shabbat wherever we are? Yes. Yeah. But this chapter is talking about what's done in the temple. Exactly. Okay. So they, then you have, we don't need to read this, but 11 moon. through 15, it's on the new moon, Rosh Hashanah. Correct. And it's going to give you, here's the offerings you bring. This is the time you bring it. Correct. This is the, the bread offering that has to come with it. And, and then it tells you, and, and this I always love, in verse 10, where it's talking about the Shabbat, it says the burnt offering each Shabbat on its own Sabbath, in addition to the continual burnt offering and its libation. So we have a foundation. We have the tamid, that's the, the continual offering that's done every morning, every afternoon. When it's Shabbat, you have to do that morning offering. In between the morning and the afternoon offering, you're going to do the additional Shabbat offering. That's called Musa, which means additional. By the way, if you don't mind, let me quit, let me read here real quickly what the offerings were for the extra ones that we're going to be reading here real quickly. We have like 15 more minutes, Joe. Do you think we can do it in 15 more minutes? Oh, give it a good effort. All right. The Sabbath required the daily sacrifice were two lambs. I'm reading from the archaeological Bible in the commentary in the bottom of the book of Numbers, chapter 20 and 29. It says the first day of the month, a new moon, Numbers 28, verse 15, 11 and 15. It required two bulls, one ram, seven lambs, one goat. Uh, Unleavened bread each day required two bulls, one ram, seven lambs, one goat. Pentecost. It required two bulls, one ram, seven lambs, one goat. In the first day of the seventh month, okay, that was uh, one bull. Yeah, first day, that's Yom Teruah. One, one bull, seven rams, I'm sorry, one ram, seven, goat, seven lambs, and one goat. On the day of atonement, one bull, remember, they're doing the morning offerings. These are the extra ones, Okay. That's the context of the chapter 28 and 29. So you have the morning lamb, the afternoon lamb, plus these in between. Okay. It says, day of atonement, one, lamb, one bull, one ram, seven lambs, and one goat. Now, on the tabernacles, you have 13 the first day, 13 bulls, two rams, 14 lambs, one goat the first day. And it goes down in number for the bulls, but it remains the same for the lambs until the last eighth day. That everything goes down. The last, the eighth day is one bull, one ram, seven lambs, one goat. So it shows you that every single chagim, every single chag, the pilgrimage, it involves sacrifices, including also the appointed times of Yom Teruah and Yom Kippur. Okay, so every one of these is uh, is a uh, musaf except for the Tami, everything is additional offerings that would be brought on these appointed times in the temple. Now, there are ceremonies that are around them, okay? And these ceremonies, I'm going to read about the ceremonies. Uh, it says, uh, they may not recite less than 10 Malkuyot. What is Malkuyot? 
Malkiyot means kingship. Okay. Gotcha. So let me explain. In the temple, they're going to have 100 blasts on the shofar. And so these blasts are divided into three sections. Okay. That's One section is called Malkuyot. And so they're going to blow. And then there are scriptures. And we think the scriptures were sung by the Levitical choir. Right. Now, these scriptures are going to be the scriptures that are going to be associated in Jewish teachings and coming from the temple. They, they are going to be on oh, what is this day about? What is God communicating to us through these passages? They have a minimum number. They may not recite less than 10. They have to have at least 10 verses, and then they have 10 zikr notes. So they're going to have another set of blasts. And in between the blast and the blaster, the, the, when I say blast, they, you know, the, the shofar, you have the long note, you have the staccato note, you have the little uh, three short blasts, and then you have the super long blast. Okay. So that's called off by uh, the um, what by Hazan. Okay. The Hazan is going to be the servant, and he calls off these blasts. And then the, the, the blowers will blow. And then the choir will sing these responses. Well, people today, what they do on, on Rosh Hashanah or Yom Torah is they get in there and just start blowing. Well, you're blowing a lot of shofarot on that day, but you're not making the associations that God gave to be understood from this time. Every, you know, Yom Kippur is such a beautiful service. But you are to understand what God's communicating by the bull offering, by the goat offering, by the goat that's taken into the wilderness, by going into the Holy of Holies, the prayers that are said. God's communicating with us. Why would we want to not understand what God's communicating? These verses are about this time. This time is about this eschatologically, agriculturally. All of these various things, it brings us to it to its fullness. So that's a great explanation, Joe. And when you began to teach it to me that way, I began to really understand its purpose and its function, and, and, and obviously the context. So the the sad thing that I see is that unfortunately, these services are not being endorsed within uh, um, the environment that we minister to. So sometimes they lack clarity into its purpose and function. They assume that all the prayers that are done on Yom Teruah and Yom Kippur was added by certain rabbi in the Middle Ages, which the, 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 the essence of every single one of those things came from the temple because they have a different function. During Passover, Unleavened Bread, Shavuot, and Sukkot, you will bring, you will come to Jerusalem for a different function, to bring the offerings and to bring the, to bring tribute to God versus the high holidays, which are appointed times. They are all appointed times but according to Deuteronomy 16, 16, only the pilgrimage are feasts, are chagim, okay? That's clear now in the text. In Leviticus 23, verse 1 and 2, it's not mentioning the word chag. It's mentioning appointed times. A little research into the Hebrew, little understanding into the temple functions, we see this. So why is the argument prevailing among us in regards to these things? Because Joe, as you know, the temple study is the one thing that's so neglected by everyone. Oh, yeah. And we're not really getting the depth 
of the prophetic behind this. People want to talk about prophecy. They never consider Yom Teruah and its prayers and its services in the eschatological perspective, which you have for years. This uh, right here, you know, people say, oh, it was added by the rabbis in the Middle Age. You don't know your Bible. Because it, first off, it, what you're told in Exodus chapter 25, verse 9. Let me verse read 28. Wait, wait, verse wait. Let me read it. Let me read it. Exodus. Yeah. Read verse 8, the first phrase. 25. 25, 8. Exodus. It's about the offerings. 25, 8. It says this. They shall make me a sanctuary so that I may dwell among them. Stop. Right, is they shall make me a sanctuary. Okay, the word in Hebrew for tabernacle is mishkan. Correct. Okay, what is the word for the temple? Beit Hamikdash. Okay, Mikdash. Right. All right. What's the word that's used there where it says sanctuary? Mikdash. It's Mikdash. Build right. me a Mikdash. Yeah, it says here. Okay, and then it says so that I may. Dwell among them, how you say dwell is Shekin, and then he says, Build the Mishkan, which comes from Shekin, mm -hmm. according to the Tavni, which means blueprint. The last phrase says, Just so shall you do it, right? It says, actually, uh, in Hebrew, it says, And just so shall you do it. That mm -hmm. means you can't change it, you cannot add to it, you cannot take away from it, and we know. That in, as long as the temple was standing, that that was a cardinal rule. Because we read about it. We read about it. In fact, I'll show you right behind me. This is going to be the big catalog of Jewish writings. This is going to be the, the Talmud and the, and the tractate Rosh excuse me, Sukkah on Sukkot. In 51b, it has this discussion. Hey, we can't add anything to the temple. We can't add a prayer. We can't add a service. We can't add anything. Okay? So here, in the Mishnah, it tells us, hey, they were doing this service with the Malkuyot, Zikronot, and Shofarot, just like I said, a set of verses after Shofar Black in the temple. Right. People so are reading on the internet, are there listening to uninformed people that are telling, oh, that was added by the rabbis. You don't know your scripture. You just violated Exodus 25, 9, that they mm -hmm. could not add. So when we find it in the temple and go, wow, now we got an anchor point. Now we know what right. was done that they couldn't change. An example of that, you actually, we were studying this, and I did a study based on the teaching that you show me, is the story of Haggai. Haggai chapter one. Yes. And many people assume that the, that the Selichot are actually creation by the rabbis when in fact there were prayers done in the verse, in the first chapter of verse one and two of the book of Haggai. It says in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, the first day of the month, that's the month of Elul. It says, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheretiel, governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Yahosadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts. These people saying the time has not yet come, reveal the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. But something that is, uh, verse 5, it says, verse 4 and 5. 
it is time for yourselves to dwell in your panel houses while this house lies in ruins. And then he says, now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. So you taught me, and it is true, I went back and looked it up, that that expression is actually the whole catalyst for the repentance prayers leading towards the Day of Atonement for, for the month of Elul. Consider your ways. Yeah, and it, it actually comes up, it's, it's going to be here at the beginning of this passage. Uh, in, um, uh, he said it twice. He says it three times. Three times. Twice in chapter one and once in chapter two. And verse seven says, thus says the Lord, consider your ways. And then in chapter two, the same thing. So that's an idiom for now the premise of Judaism all over the world doing the selichot, the prayers of, uh, of repentance, leading it towards the Day of Atonement because of the prophecies given during the time of the Babylonian captivity because they have not really restored the temple. That's quite interesting. So <laughs> how much do we really know the scripture, guys? And no. this is my whole premise. Uh, I took the time this morning after being away this weekend. I called Joe last night, late, 1030 at night, based on comments that were being going around on Facebook, misquoting some of the stuff we were saying. Well, today we proved and we showed you that Yom Teruah is a service in the temple that only can be done by the priest due to its inclusion of sacrifices that were done. In the Torah, in the Torah, in the service of the Torah, during the day of trumpets and Yom Kippur, in the synagogue service worldwide, they are using temple-based prayers to facilitate the service that was done in the temple without the sacrifices. But the prayers, because they were doing the same prayers, now they're translated into transferred into the synagogue service. So instead of arguing about whether or not you know it's a feast or not, we should be asking a better question: Why are we not? really observing of following these uh, high holidays, the way that was prescribed by the Bible in the temple service, carried over to the synagogue service. And how come we don't learn that? I think that's something that we should ask that question. Instead of having endless arguments about text, about wording that we don't quite are not familiar with, because we are neglecting 279 commandments of the 613 that are dealing with the temple. And this is why I'm grateful for my teacher, Joseph Good, because he have taken me back and broke things down like this so that I don't believe just what anybody says. I validate and we validate this stuff. So Joe, you have something to add for the last five minutes before we have to break. No, uh, uh, there, there is a whole world uh, that will open up before you. Uh, this book that uh, Rico recommended uh, by... Um, yeah, the High Holy Days service by Herman Keevil. If you can get a hold of that, and uh, you know it's going to be difficult to read, but it, it'll open up so many things to you. There are you need to search this out. Is Rosh Hashanah valid name for the festival? Are there any other names that are valid? And you're going to find out. Hey, Leviticus 23, you have Yom HaZikron, the day of remembrance. Yom HaDin, the day of judgment. Yom HaKisei, the day of the concealed moon, the day of the throne. Uh, you could go on and on and on, but each one of these are going to open up where a big passage of God's word will come alive. A chapter of the New Testament or a book of the New Testament. Well, all of a sudden you go and you see it with new eyes 
And the, the important thing is that you search it out. Don't take our word for it. Go back, search it diligently, and then it'll come alive to you. Amen. And um, this is why we get together. This is why I study and I research. And I want to reiterate that I'm not afraid to correction. Joe knows me now for a long time. He knows that Same I'm willing to. Here. Yeah, right. Yeah. We've been we've had conversations, Joe, that in which, you know, you mentioned something. What I loved about what I learned from you is that when I teach something or when I share something that is not right, you don't attack me. You listen to it and then you say, hey, let me give you an article. Let me give you this verses. Let me give you this information and allow me to go back and validate my point or to validate the information. And then I come back and say, well, Joe, I didn't, I didn't have that full information. After a few times of that happening, I kind of figured, well, don't I just shut up and listen, <laughs> allow myself to learn first before having an argument without having the full information. So a quick recap, what have we learned today? We've learned that in Leviticus 23, verse one and two, the word Chagim or Chag does not appear. Appointed times, Moedim. Okay, but not Chagim. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16, it defines the three pilgrimage feast days, Chag. Now they're, because the plural, Chagim. That's why we say Chag Sameach. Okay, now when I said the other day, not even the rabbis say, you know, Yom Tovua, because they know that's not a feast, correct? Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying that I... <laughs> that I'm putting the, rabbi, the rabbis above, above anything else because I do recognize that is in, in this instance, they have it correctly. I do not understand why it's such a problem for certain people to recognize that if a rabbi is correct and something that lines up with the Bible, I would agree with him just like I would agree with a Christian if he is lining up with the Torah. It's not a problem. I think that the, 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 the problem is a deeper issue of understanding, again, the thing that we are neglecting, which is the temple service. I pray that you guys will consider studying with us. Wisdomandtorah.com. Give us your website, Joe. Atikvaministries.org and JerusalemTempleStudy.com. And I highly recommend you give us an opportunity. Listen, what do you have to lose? You have nothing to lose to sit with us and allow us the opportunity to share these and to give you the evidence so that you can have a more solid foundation. So when people begin to argue, you can say, okay, stop. Let's go to the verse. Let's go to the text. Let's validate information. And let us use every available information that we can have to make sure that the Bible is understood the right way. But the Torah and the prophets and the New Testament, you know, those things are um, always the priority and they cannot contradict one another. Maybe we are not understanding it correctly. Something that John Walton said, Joe, that really resonates with me is says the Bible is written for us, but not to us. Right. And that's something that I, I would love for the audience to recognize and consider. Uh, also consider going to our temple course in January. This year, we're going to be talking about the a lot of these principles. You're going to talk about eschatology, the New Testament, and the feasts, and the eschatology within the feasts, each one of them. And I'm going to be talking about verses in the New Testament that talks about temple protocols and principles and prayers. And that's what we're going to be addressing in January. Go to my website, wisdomintora.com for more information. Joe, I love you. Thank you for being my teacher, my friend. Thank you for teaching me. And thank you for teaching me to be accountable. More than anything, accountability 
and validating of the word. And I appreciate your humility for always uh, willing to answer my questions. Okay. Love you very much. I appreciate you. Love you too, Rico. All right, my friend. Thank you so much, guys, for having us. Please validate everything I say. Don't believe anything we say. But if we are correct and you have been misunderstanding and misquoting, do me a favor. Let's do the etiquette thing amongst brothers and sisters. Fix it. Because we cannot go around arguing with each other just because we don't have the full information. Let's ask the right questions. That's the one thing Joe always teaches me. Ask the right question. I look at a page. I look at a text. And he goes, he starts asking me questions. And I don't know the answers, which provokes research. That's what we should be focusing in. Instead of having endless debates about an area that we don't study. May the Lord bless you guys. We love you guys. Shalom to all of you. Bye-bye.